Today's scripture is from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all that ate were filled and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Allison. And let's pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Speak to us now, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Years ago, I attended a preaching conference at the Montreat Conference Center, a glorious slice of God's creation in Western North Carolina that is also part of the Presbyterian Church USA. And that week, as I was exploring the area, I came upon the Black Mountain Presbyterian Church, a wonderful congregation with a passionate commitment to include and to celebrate all people and to view them all as God's beloved children. And wanting a quiet place to pray for just a few moments, I found their sanctuary. It was unlocked, I let myself in, it was a glorious space. It reflected the beauty and simplicity of the Blue Ridge Mountains which that community is nestled in. And in that sanctuary, what struck me most what I most remember all these years later is the communion table. Often in Presbyterian churches, the words of institution of Jesus are inscribed on the front of the table. Do this in remembrance of me. But this communion table was different. It was unlike any I'd ever seen. For inscribed on this table, the table where the sacrament of Holy Communion was regularly celebrated, the table that was at the very center of their worship was a question. And the question was, 
has everyone been fed? Has everyone been fed? And what I invite us to consider in this brief communion meditation is this. What are the implications of that important question? How would it change our lives, our worldview, the spirit with which we live out our faith? If we lived by the credo where before we ever reach for seconds at the tables that we gather around and before we consider our meals complete and move on to something else, we ask the question, has everyone been fed? Has everyone been fed? Is there anyone who has been excluded? Is there anyone who is still hungry, who has no table to gather around, nowhere to belong? Before we have seconds, has everyone else had firsts? Has everyone been fed? A young man who grew up in our church once volunteered for a year in a small town in Tennessee with Habitat for Humanity. He was taking a year off between college and grad school. It was a powerful experience for him. And during that time, he discovered one of the credos of Habitat. Let's make sure everyone gets one house before anyone gets two. Let's make sure everyone gets one house before anyone gets two. The Habitat's intent is not to judge or to shame those who have more than one home. It's to remind us of the countless people who have no home. No home they own, no home they rent, no home of any sort that is safe and dry and warm and that is theirs. And of Christ's call upon our lives to serve our neighbors in need. Christ's teaching that when we love our neighbor, we are loving Christ himself. There are approximately 8 billion people on earth. 8 billion. At such a large scale, it's hard to visualize how we compare to one another. What if we were to reduce the earth to a village of 100 people? Have you seen those illustrations? If the world was a village of hundred people. Only five would be from North America. 61 would be from Asia. 13 would be from Africa. 18 would have no electricity. 10 would own 76% of the world's wealth. 56 would have less than $10,000. 11 of them would be malnourished, one would be starving to death, while 15 would be obese, 45 would have a college education. However, 10 adults would not be able to read. In the village, there would be 18 cars, 60 villagers would have adequate sanitation, 40 would not, 25, uh, 75 villagers would have safe water to drink in or near their home. 25 would not and would need to spend much of their day getting water. 68 would breathe clean air. 32 would not. The world is a village, not of 100, but of 8 billion people. 
a village where the resources of food and water and clean air and nearly every single thing else is not shared equally. The story from Matthew's Gospel that Allison read a few moments ago, it's the only miracle story that is contained in all four of the Gospels except for the miracle of Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. It's the only miracle story that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all contain. Jesus has been teaching and healing on a hillside in a remote place. There are thousands of people. Night is approaching. The people are hungry. The disciples suggest Jesus send them off to look for a restaurant to find food of their own. And Jesus says they do not need to go somewhere else to find food. You feed them. And the disciples, wanting to be realistic, wanting to be responsible, probably hungry and tired themselves and wondering what in the world he is thinking, say, but Lord, we don't have the resources. How will the need be met? And verse 17, they speak some of the most honest words they have ever spoken about how they perceive themselves. We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus takes those seemingly meager resources of the five loaves and the two fish and stunning everyone, it is enough. It is enough to feed them all. There is not a scarcity of food. There is abundance. And the story does not simply end with all of them having enough to eat, which they do, and which would have been miracle enough. The disciples gather what scraps are left over and fill 12 baskets. There's not only fulfillment of their need, there's surplus, there are leftovers, there's extra, there's more than enough. Even in the wilderness, even when the night is falling, there's abundance, there's extravagance, there's a reminder of the overflowing graciousness and faithfulness and love of God. And I think about the words those disciples spoke. We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Words that were honest and unfiltered. What they felt was, we are not up to the task. Lord, we are weary and in need of rest. We don't have what you're asking us to give. That was their perspective. It was their reality. And I'm struck by the contrast between their words to Jesus and the words that are inscribed on a communion table in a Presbyterian church in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Has everyone been fed? Words that instead of reflecting doubt, reflect faith. Words that reflect a sense of concern for and commitment to caring for their neighbor. Words that reflect the welcome and hospitality and experience of belonging that are extended to all who might come to that table or to that gathering of God's people in that place. In the remaining few moments of this message, I want to share three spiritual lessons that this passage reminds us of. First, we are called to feed each other. We are called to share what we have 
with one another. God did not create us to be alone in isolation apart from one another, but in relationship, in community together. And if I have more than I need and you have less than you need, whether it is in regard to food or something else, that is an opportunity God has given me to love you and to serve you in the manner that Christ instructs us to love and to serve. It's why God's co-op food pantry was founded. It's why our youth went on a mission trip to Maine and another one here in New Jersey this summer. It's why we engage with each and every one of our mission partners across the globe. It's why we extend welcome and grace and kindness to all people who connect with BRPC seeking a church home, all people whose lives we have an opportunity to touch in our community and in our world. Because we're called to feed each other. We're called to share what we have with one another. The second spiritual lesson this passage reminds us of is that there is enough for everyone. The world often teaches that it's a zero-sum game. The more you have, the less I have. The world often encourages a perspective of fear or worry or doubt. Yet God invites us to embrace instead a perspective of trust and faith and abundance. A perspective where you can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 plus women and children and have 12 baskets of leftovers. By human math, the numbers don't add up. By God's math, they do. There is enough food and water and air and everything else in this world for all of us, all eight billion. There's more than enough if we but share it. And the third and final spiritual lesson in this passage is that ultimately, Ultimately, it is God who does the feeding. Ultimately, God is the one who created the world and all that is in it, who called life into being. It is God who provides for our every need. It is our good and loving and extravagantly generous God, like that hymn that we sang a few moments ago reminds us of. It's that God who feeds us who quenches us, who fills us, who leads us. And it is God who equips us to join with God in feeding others. We did not come up with this idea on our own, and we do not accomplish this work by our own efforts and energy. We engage in the ministry of feeding and serving and loving in the name of Christ and empowered by Christ. Even at those moments when we think we are not enough and that what we have is not enough. And I close with this. One day a man said to God, God, I would like to know what heaven and what hell look like. And so God showed the man two doors. Inside the first one in the middle of the room was a large round table with a large pot of vegetable stew. 
It smelled delicious and made the man's mouth water. But the people sitting around the table were thin and sickly. They appeared to be famished. They were holding spoons with very long handles and each found it possible to reach into the pot of stew and to take a spoonful. But because the handle was longer than their arms, they could not get the spoon back into their mouths. The man shuddered at the sight of their misery and suffering. And God said to him, you have seen hell. And behind the second door, the room appeared exactly the same. There was a a large round table with a large pot of wonderful vegetable stew that again made the man's mouth water. The people had the same long handled spoons but they were well-nourished and plump and laughing and engaged in conversation together. And the man said, I don't understand. And God smiled. It's simple, he said. Love only requires one skill. These people learned early on to share and to feed one another, while those in the first room only try to feed themselves. Friends, it's true, of course. Love only requires one skill, to share and to feed one another. Will we choose love? Will we choose to share? Will we be like the disciples who say, we don't have enough, Lord. We only have five loaves and two fish. Or will we be like the leaders of the Black Mountain Presbyterian Church who chose to put on their communion table that life-altering question, has everyone been fed? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.